Please turn with me to Mark chapter 4 as we continue our series in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 4, we're going to be looking at the first 20 verses this morning. We have a very familiar parable before us in this parable of the sower. Before we come to it, again, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for His help. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, as we come to Your Word, we pray that You would help us. Because when we read Your Word... Many times we come to it wondering what we can get away with, how we can somehow better our own situation. We come to it with hearts that are struggling against what we should do and what we should not do. We are confused. What is the truth? What should we believe? What shouldn't we believe? And so help us, because as we come to your word, we know that it is true, and we know that it is right, we know that it is good for us, your people. And so we pray that you open our hearts, that we might be convicted of our sin, that you would open our minds, that we might see and hear and understand and seek you more. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As as I studied this passage this week, the first thing that I thought of, here we're coming to this first parable in the book of Mark, and we'll have many others. Uh, I thought about fables. You know, the the stories that you heard when you were a kid and you read them. We still have them as adults, and they're not necessarily like the cute little fables with like ants and grasshoppers and things like that, even though those are fables too. But the fable is just generally a story that kind of gives you a moral gives you some sort of axiom of life, you know, that things that you just kind of know anyway, like looks can be deceiving. Oh, that is a good story. Or look before you leap or whatever, you know, silly little phrases like that. I remember when I was in the church camp as a kid, this uh, guy was talking to us and the whole talk was about this mule that this farmer was trying to bury for some reason. And, uh, I probably was not paying good attention, but I do remember that he was trying to bury a mule in a well, and every time he threw dirt on top of the mule, the mule was just supposed to shake it off and step on it. And that was the whole point, that we're supposed to shake it off and step on it when life gets hard. That may be true. That That's probably a good axiom for life. But it highlights the problem as we come to Scripture Scripture is not giving us the moral of the story. When we open up the Bible today, we're going to be looking at this parable, this parable of the sower, and we're not looking for a moral, something that we can gather from it that makes common sense to us. We aren't supposed to walk away from this story thinking, thanks for the tip, Jesus. I'll look into that. That's not how this is. When Jesus taught parables... He was teaching to the heart of the people that were there. He used parables to be a mirror to the soul of the people, to show the people who they were and why they needed him. And so as we look at our text today, I want us to keep this in mind, because it's really easy for us to think, 
I got this, Jesus, as long as you can just help me a little bit along the way. Thanks for the advice. Jesus is my co-pilot, and he gives me life advice as I walk through the way. That's not how this works. If we see him as that, we're going to miss the fact that he came to save us. We're going to miss the fact that we need saving in the first place. And so as we look at this parable, not only will we look at its meaning, which Jesus helps us with, thankfully, but we're going to look at, at parables in general and how they give us a window to our own hearts. And so with that, I want to consider three main points. First, the purpose of parables, then the seeds that did not grow, and then finally the seeds that did grow. So with that, let's look together at the text, Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Let's stand together in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Mark chapter 1, or Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and set in, in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things and parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since there was no depth of soil. And when the sun rose and it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into the good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven." And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones that are sown in rocky ground. The ones, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it, and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So just for a little bit of context, uh, Mark is not necessarily a chronological book. And so we know or we don't know where exactly this story falls in the timeline of, minist- of Jesus' ministry. It wasn't uncommon at all for Jesus to be teaching in a boat because the people would kind of gather around him and get real close. It's not like they could hook up the microphone, you know, and uh, make it to where he could hear. So he had to kind of create his own stage. 
and getting out on a boat was essentially doing that so that everyone could see him and hear him. And his teaching for this day is in the form of a parable. And parables are mostly, when we think about parables, we think about the teachings of Jesus, but they are not unknown to Scripture, the rest of Scripture at all. Another parable that we are familiar with in Scripture is the parable that Nathan gives to David. Remember when David was caught in his sin with Bathsheba and he, he married Bathsheba's husband and he was caught in adultery with her and Nathan came to David and he had this parable to tell them. So found in 2 Samuel 12, you can follow along, I'm just going to kind of summarize it. Nathan comes to David and he tells the story about a poor man who had this one sheep that he really loved and a rich man who had lots of sheep. Yet when a guest came to the rich man's house, which sheep did he kill? Did he kill one of his, one of his many? No, he went and found the poor man's sheep, and he killed it for the guest. And what was David's response? He was outraged. He was like, I can't believe this happened. The rich man should die for this. And what was Nathan's response? David, you are the man. And so when we're going to looking at the purpose of parables... We could sum up the purpose of parables in one sentence. You are the man, or you are the woman. They're about you. We're not looking for the moral of the story. We're not coming to this parable and thinking, hmm, that was nice. We should come to this parable and then examine our own hearts. See our own sin. What is Jesus saying about my sin? What is he saying about my need for him? And so as we come to this parable, what is Jesus saying about you? Not about everyone else. So let me encourage you and challenge you with that. So let's look together then at verses 1 and 2, the purpose of parables. Again, he began to teach beside the sea a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into the boat and he sat on it and the whole crowd was beside the sea and on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. Because that's the way he taught. If you read through the Gospels, you see Jesus teaching in parables a lot. And notice there's a very large crowd gathered around him. Now, think about what we just read, or what we just looked at in 2 Samuel 12, with David was a believer, right? David believed the promises of God. He was looking forward to the coming Messiah. He believed all the promises in God, of God, of the covenant promises that would eventually be fulfilled in this coming Messiah. David was looking forward to that day. Yet when Nathan told him this story, David was like, you should go and kill that guy. David was a believer, yet he didn't understand that the story was about him. And so, when Jesus has this very large crowd gathered around, what are you likely to have? You're likely to have some people there who thought he was the Messiah, who wondered maybe this Jesus is legit, maybe he, the things that he's saying are real, maybe he is the Son of Man come. There's going to be others that think he's crazy. Remember, we just got through reading that his family thought he was nuts and that he should be taken away. And you're going to have a lot of things in between. And thankfully, Jesus tells us what he is thinking when it comes to the teaching of parables. And in order to explain this, he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6. 
there in verses 12 and 13. Verse 10, I'm going to start with verse 10. It says, And when he was alone, those around him, the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. So that, and then he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. And remember that passage in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah is before the throne of God. Remember, and Isaiah comes before the throne of God and he says, I'm a man of unclean lips and, my, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And the angel takes the coal and burns the lips of Isaiah, thus kind of representing the, the taking away of that sin. And the Lord says he has this message and he needs to send it to the people and he's going to go and send that message. And Isaiah stands up and says, here am I, Lord, send me. And then he says, this is the message that you are to give to the people. And that's what Jesus is quoting. This is the message. The message to the people is that they may indeed see, but not perceive. That they may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Isaiah shows himself to be ready for the mission, right? That that verse gets quoted all the time for like short-term mission trips. Here I am, send me. But the message is not a very good one. Keep on hearing but do not understand. Remember when we studied the passage in Isaiah chapter 6, we said that this is a hard passage. This is a, this is a hard thing. That anyone would step right up and say, yeah, I want to preach this message. It's difficult. But this is what Jesus is saying. There are going to be people there that will hear this message and understand, but there's also going to be who there? There's going to be the scribes and the Pharisees, and there's going to be others who are going to hear this story and they're going to think, That story is about somebody else. It's obviously not about me. Because I am wise. And I am strong. What did the Lord say through Paul in 1 Corinthians about those who see themselves to be wise and strong in their own eyes? But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Jesus' teaching here isn't about finding a moral of the story for you to come away thinking, oh yeah, that's really good, Jesus. I already knew that. That's kind of common sense. But it's for you to see this story and to hear this story and to come away and you to say, that's me. So whether it's parables, whether it's the regular teaching of the Word, whether it's teaching in Sunday school, Whatever's going on, if it's teaching at home, if at any time you come face to face with the Word of God and we find ourselves, if we go to the Word of God and we find ourselves wise and strong in our own eyes, then we are like those who hear but don't get it. This is why it's so crucial that we stay true to the message, brothers and sisters. Because when you have a very large crowd like Jesus had there before him, or to put it a different way, when you want a very large crowd, it might be easy to put something in front of them that makes them look wise and strong instead of doing the opposite, which is what Jesus did. Who should we lift up rather than ourselves? Christ. That's what we are to do. So let us do that in all of our teaching. And again, this isn't just something 
This isn't just something for me to do as the pastor. This is for something for all of us to do in our daily conversations with our kids, with our coworkers, with whoever we're talking to. We're putting Christ first in those things because he is strong. He is wise. The parable is about me from him. I'm the one who needs a savior. He is the savior. So who are we talking about? Let's give them the word. Which is what this parable is about, right? Giving people the word. And so let's look then first at the seeds that did not grow. One of the great things about this parable, I wish all of the parables were this way because they're not. Um, some of the parables are pretty difficult for me anyway. But this one's really nice because Jesus sits his disciples down and he explains it to them. Which we, we need that sort of explanation. He gives us a very clear, thorough understanding of what it means. Throughout the New Testament, we get this, we see that the message of the kingdom, the message of God's word, the gospel is referred to as a seed, and there's a harvest that needs to be reaped. You see this over and over again. The New Testament is just replete with examples of this. And ultimately, who makes that seed grow? We can plant the seed, we can water the seed, but ultimately it's God that makes that seed grow. He is the one who gets the harvest even. Thankfully, there are times in our lives when we get to see that harvest unfold. He allows us to do that. But he is the one that makes the seed grow. And so these first three instances that we're going to look at, the seed does not grow or it grows and it it doesn't produce fruit or it grows and it doesn't really stick around for a long time so as we look at these seeds we're going to be looking at this these are times that the word of god is given the the message of the kingdom is proclaimed yet there is no product meaning that for whatever reason the lord did not make it grow for whatever reason so first there is the seed that is thrown on the path Verse 4, as he sowed some seed, it fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. And he tells us that that bird represents Satan coming and devouring the seed. So it doesn't grow. I have no real data to support this or any kind of sort of spiritual insight, but in my estimation, the majority of times when you're giving a message, when you're preaching a message, when you're talking about the scriptures, when you're inviting someone to believe in Christ, this is probably what is happening. The message is given, it's heard, meaning that they heard you speak words, but it's not understood. And so it's taken away pretty quickly. I think a lot about my time in youth ministry here. I think of this not because youth ministry is bad or whatever. I'm not doing that. I'm just, this is my own experience. Reminds me of events when I would give out free pizza. You know, what is the plan on my end? Come for the pizza, stay for the gospel, right? Well, in reality, what's going on in their minds? Come for the pizza, stay for the more pizza, and then wonder, when is this thing over? That's really what's going on. Now, not for everybody, but that does happen a lot. The soil, for whatever reason, isn't ready to receive the word. It doesn't mean that it won't one day. Hopefully it will. But for whatever reason, just not on that day. I was that kid in youth group, by the way. Happened to me. Man, it's important. 
Just because the seed isn't received on that one time doesn't mean that it's not going to be. So we don't discount those those instances at all. The Lord is the one who makes those appointments. The Lord is the Lord is the one who makes them grow. We just have to be faithful to be the sower. The second seed then springs up quickly. Verse five: Other seed fell on the rocky ground when it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. When the sun rose, it was scorched, since it had no root, and it withered away. The Lord explains it like this. And these ones were sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they heard the word, immediately received it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while then. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, they immediately fall away. I'll use my experience in youth ministry again. Now again, not because... Youth ministry is bad. I see this in adult ministry as well, but I think about my own life and my own testimony. When I was at church camp, every year I went as a kid, and uh, you know, every summer I got all emotional about the messages that I heard. Not necessarily the shake it off and step on it message, but some of the other ones. And uh, what did I do? I immediately received that message with joy, right? We've all been there. We've all been on the church camp mountaintop, or a lot of us have been. I received that message of joy, but my proximity to camp and my excitement about the message were very directly correlated. As I as I literally drove away from camp, that excitement started to wane, and it definitely was over that first day of school, sitting there amongst all of my friends who had no idea because they weren't there. They didn't experience all the things that I had experienced all those years. I went to church camp so many times, I can't even count. All those years, I heard the word, and I did not understand. I didn't understand until I was a freshman in college, until I stopped going to church camp, because that was when the Lord appointed that time. What about the third one? It's kind of similar to this one. Verse 7, the other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. So it didn't produce any fruit. It grows up pretty well at first, but other stuff starts to grow up around it, and the plant is choked out. It never produces any fruit. Notice, the plant doesn't actually die here. The plant could just stick around for a long time, actually. It just looks like all the weeds. It never produces the fruit that distinguishes it from the other plants. While it is possible that this first seed, the one that's thrown onto the path and is, is quickly scooped up, is found in the church, it is certain that the second two are. You have people who live from one spiritual high to the next. They need to receive that message with joy. And if they don't, they interpret it any number of ways. They may blame their church. They may blame their pastor. They may blame their friends. Whatever. They they blame somebody because it's obviously not them. They're not the person. It's someone else. And so they go from place to place looking for that kind of high that they can experience. I think it's possible to go through this as spells, through this kinds of spells as a believer. Don't get me wrong. But it's really easy to believe when everything's joyful. When it gets hard, it's easier to cling to what works. And the one that is choked out can be someone that has been in the church for years. 
And then they suddenly realize, hey, the world has a whole lot to offer. As this text says, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things start to enter in. And this person can actually be in the church continually. I think a lot about kids that grow up in the church here. I think they're in a lot of danger because they kind of grow up next to all the other plants. And from the outside, it may look like everything's going well. Yeah, it looks like everything's good there. Until you start to really examine things closely, then you realize that there's no fruit at all. It's hard to tell them apart from the weeds that are going up around them. As a school teacher, I get to see this. So what do we do with this parable? And again, we have to take inventory, or we have to take inventory of our own hearts, not the hearts of other people, because it would be really easy to hear this and think, yeah, that's so-and-so, they're just like that second seed. I know three people just like that third seed. I know that whole that whole person that whole group of people over there. They act like they're you know we you know what we do. It's easy to do that sort of thing. Let me remind you: the parable comes to you that you might examine your heart, not the hearts of others. There are times for holding people accountable. We are all accountable when it comes to the word and when the word is presented. And so what are we going to do with it? How many times have you received the word joyfully and it fizzled away once the sun starts to beat down? Maybe you received the word and it took root, but because of everything else is so enticing. Mainly those enticing things tend to be pleasing man rather than God. And you wonder why you're not bearing any fruit. Or maybe you think you are. Maybe this is the first time that you've heard this message and understood this morning. Maybe you've been like the bird or the the seed that's sown on the path. And for the first time, you're like, whoa, this is me. Whatever the case, all three of these, the answer, the solution to the issue is the same. Jesus Christ. Call out to him. If you're an unbeliever, you call out to him in in forgiveness. You call upon his name and be saved. It's that simple. Scripture says, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But as a believer, what do we do? When we find ourselves here, we call out in repentance. And what does the Scripture tell us? That He is faithful to forgive. His death bought forgiveness for all of our sins. They are separated as far as the east is from the west. Therefore, there is no condemnation. And so we call out in Him for repentance, and He brings us back into the fold. But what about those who the the seed is sown on good soil and they grow up and they they bear fruit and they accept the word? Remember, we talked about last week the the principles of biblical interpretation as we started that passage on the unforgivable sin. And when it comes to Jesus here and he's teaching these outsiders, as the text calls them and he's teaching them parables and what was his purpose for doing he said that they may indeed see but not perceive that they may indeed hear and not understand and so does jesus not want anyone to understand is that what's going on here no because he does call people to repentance well why are they called outsiders in the first place that's what we need to ask ourselves is it because they didn't get into the club it's only is it because the first 50 are admitted and everyone else has to wait outside? Is it because they weren't special enough? Is Jesus 
only picking the most special people? Just go back a few chapters and you see that that's not the case. Or is it because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Is that why we are called on the outside? And so if it's one sin who causes one to be on the outside, then what has to change about that person for them to see and to understand? The sin has to be taken away. The soil has to be made new. And so there will be those who hear and get it. And it will be because God took the heart of stone and he made it into a heart of flesh that it might receive and accept his word. And that's how that works. So when it comes to our teaching and our preaching, the message of Jesus Christ, we trust God to do the work. We trust God to make it grow. We just have to be faithful to sow those seeds. What about for our own hearts as believers? Now that we have this growing seed, what do we do with it? And I think this is very important for us to hear as believers. Turn with me to Second Peter chapter 1. And this may open up a whole other thing. For Sunday school today, I plan to have a question and answer concerning this passage. So if this opens up questions for you, then that would be a perfect time for that. But I think this is important. You know, as, in our, as a believer, what is our responsibility then to grow fruit in our lives? Second Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 3. Remember, Peter was there when Jesus explained this parable. And here he is writing to the churches. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He has caused that seed to sprout up through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. I think I'm supposed to be in Second Peter. But this is working too. So turn with me to Second Peter real quick. That worked too. It's the same idea. Who is it that saves us? Who is it that does that salvation? It's God. So Second Peter chapter 1 verse 3. His divine power has granted... To us all things, who did it? He did, that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted us, or granted to us, His precious and very great promises. Again, who's caused this seed to sprout up? He has done this, He has granted these things to us, so that through them you might become partakers. Of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of the sinful desire. This is, this is us growing fruit. This is us seeing the promises of God and changing. For this very reason, reason, now what is he telling us to do? Since we have received this, not in any power of our own, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. With virtue, virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful 
in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. This is a challenge to us as believers. Therefore, brothers, what should we do then? What is his, what is his whole aim here? Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So Peter, again, he was there when Jesus spoke those words. And his, these are his words to the church to show that he understood what Jesus was talking about, though it may have taken him you know, years to do that. God has granted to us this precious, these very great promises, having escaped the corruption of this world. And so then what should we do? We should make every effort to supplement our faith. Does this mean we're earning our salvation? No. Who granted to us these things? He did. Not in our own power. He did that for us. But now then, since we have them, let us be all the more diligent to make our calling and election sure. These gifts that we have in Jesus Christ, let us to continue in them actively. Let us actively be seeking out to do the things that set us apart from the weeds that are around us. Sanctification, this process of making us more like Christ, happens even in spite of us, thankfully. But it also happens when we seek it out. And so let us one be ones who seek to produce fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and even 100-fold. And so in conclusion, as we read and study more parables over the coming weeks, if you just look ahead, you'll see where there's going to be a bunch. Let us remember... So that we might see ourselves, that we might ask ourselves the question, what is this about me? That we might say, this is about me. That we might see our need for Jesus. And let us focus on our Savior so that we might grow up and produce more fruit. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord Jesus, as we come to you, we pray that you would help us in this because... We struggle, and you know that we struggle, and you grow us even in spite of ourselves. But yet help us to be all the more diligent to make our calling and election sure. That we would make every effort to supplement our faith. That we would grow in godliness because we want to grow in godliness. We pray for others, too, who may be hearing this word. And who may be tempted by the desires of this world, by the deceitfulness of its riches. We pray to those who may be hearing this word. And they may be struggling with the cares of this world, the difficulties of this world. And so Lord, we pray that you help them, that they would receive your word. That they would receive it with joyfulness but that they would hold it dear, that they would produce much fruit so that you would be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.